Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, good evening, y'all. we got a full room tonight, which is so very, very cool. Actually, it's kind of warm in here, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but it's nice to have everybody together. Worship the Lord in one space here. Let me pray, and we'll open up the scriptures and think a little bit about baptism tonight. Well, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For you, Christ, are the way, the truth, and the life. 
Let us cling to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, my wife, Julie, and I were on our back deck earlier this week, and we've got a hummingbird feeder hanging up there, and there were two hummingbirds, and I don't know if you've ever seen two hummingbirds fight. I did, had no idea hummingbirds did this, but they were at each other's throat, like literally. And one would like, there was only two, and one would like fly way up in the air and like a torpedo just go straight toward the other one. And you're like, oh my goodness, you're just watching this whole thing. You're, oh my goodness, like they're going to like kill each other. And here's the thing, like there were like six portals for them to feed out of. Two birds, six portals, and they're fighting over this feeder. And I thought, oh my goodness, like... How often do we do that? We just see things so small sometimes. And that we fight over the things that so much matter to us. Well, here's the story of the gospel that God's inviting us to something different. God's inviting us to something different. There's a pathway to God's abundance that completely steps outside of the conflict where we can see clearly the open arms of God just waiting for us to come and be embraced by our Lord. We're always, always, always being invited into intimacy and union with God. I don't want anyone to leave tonight and and not hear that. We're always being invited into intimacy and union with our Father. Listen to, thanks Luke for reading the the gospel reading, listen to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. This is how Jesus prays for us. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We're always being invited into intimacy and union with God. And there's a pathway to intimacy and union with God, and we might call that pathway sacramental. We might call that pathway sacramental. What do I mean by that? The church has really seen the sacraments as tangible ways we receive God's grace, His favor. The very tangible things we can touch and feel and experience. The favor of God. The sacramental practices that We practice here the sacraments of the gospel, baptism, and Eucharist. They're unique in the way that they move us toward intimacy and unity. There's really no other way that we can be this vulnerable and intimate with God. This is what the church teaches. That there's no other way that we can move into that level of intimacy and union with God except for through these sacraments. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. So when we talk about things like spiritual formation, things of the heart, 
they're challenging to talk about because they're metaphysical. I mean, we're talking about things of being and, and identity. So the Anglican Church recognizes how challenging that is, and we just have all kinds of like signs and symbols around us. Signs and symbols which help us on the pathway. They help us outwardly and tangibly experience what is deep and inward in us and often so hard to talk about and and can actually be really hard to preach about sometimes too. That's why in a liturgical church, it's not just about the sermon. Like we want to study the word and we want to preach good sermons and that's very serious for us and, and it's critical for us. But it's not just about the sermon. And here's the thing. The sacramental way, like it isn't just like an Anglican thing. It's not some just like fancy church practice. We believe it's the Jesus way. It's the way of Christ. It's God's way of moving us toward greater depths of intimacy and union with Him. So, like I said, we have two sacraments of the gospel, and those will be the ones that we'll experience more than any other sacramental practice in our church. And the first one is the Eucharist, the table, the Eucharistic table. And I bet we could spend hours just going around the room here and talking about how profound this table has been to you. I've heard story after story after story of people coming to this table and truly experiencing the reality, the presence of God. And it's amazing. The Eucharist, but then on occasion we have baptism, and our last baptism service was on Easter Sunday. And both of these are outward expressions that let us in on the inward spiritual reality that is present in this world. They they speak to that reality that Jesus is always directing us toward matters of the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And when we're honest with ourselves, we just recognize our hearts have some hummingbird in there. right? We have some fight in there. We have some conflict in there. We fight over our spiritual food. We, we fight over things that matter most to us, as we should in some sense, right? We don't want to give those things away lightly. There's a sandwich shop that's, they have one in Nashville. It's popular in the Midwest. It's called Potbelly Restaurant. And they have, anybody ever eat at Potbelly? I love Potbelly sandwiches, love them. But they used to have this ad campaign on the front door. It said, get in here before we all starve. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Get in here before we all starve. It's the kind of comment that you make when you know everybody around you is hungry. The people working in there are hungry. You're hungry if you show up there. You need to get in there so people don't starve. How do we get in here? How do we get in here in the life of the church so that we don't starve? That's my question. Of course, our relationship with Jesus is key. It's our relationship with Christ that feeds us. No doubt. And it's baptism that serves as a sacramental sign, a sacramental sign that we belong to the church, that we belong to Christ and the church. It's baptism. 
So let's talk about baptism. I'm going to spend some time tonight talking about baptism. Not because it's an Anglican thing or a Mission Cleveland thing, because, though, it's a Jesus thing. Amen. It's a Jesus thing. And it's how Jesus invites us into the world of belonging. It's how Jesus designed it. It's how God designed it. And I want to talk about two aspects of baptism. And the first is that baptism is an initiation into the journey to Christ-likeness. It's an initiation. It's our, our first step in. First, we can't really go too far in this conversation without looking back to the Old Testament, asking, well, how did belonging occur in the Old Testament? How did that happen in the Old Testament? Within uh, the biblical Jewish culture, it's the practice of circumcision that marked belonging within the community of faith. And I know that may feel off to us because it was a patriarchal culture. I, I just I know that may feel off to some of us. Fear. That's the culture. But listen to this reading in Genesis 17 that gives us a, a picture of this practice of circumcision as a practice of belonging to the community of faith. We read, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. <clears throat> In circumcision, the child is grafted into the community of faith. And one way of, of thinking about that word grafting is like it's, it's kind of an agricultural image. I think there's some medical terminology that uses that too, but it's an it's a agricultural image too that, that means bringing one living organism into the root system of another living organism. In circumcision, the, the child at eight days is engrafted into the root system of the covenant community of faith. And in this reading, like if you weren't part of a Jewish family and maybe you were bought as a slave, again, that was their culture. That was the way things were. We don't, we're not condoning that. But if you were a slave as an adult, when you came into that home, you would have been circumcised. You would have been circumcised as a practice of belonging to the community. So circumcision is a sign of covenant, of promise, an everlasting promise, we read. It's the deepest sense of belonging that you could ever imagine. It's a sign of salvation in the Old Testament. Itself, it didn't save, it didn't have any magical powers. It just pointed beyond itself to the deeper reality. That's sacrament. That's sacramental. It's a signpost. And we've probably heard the analogy of, of the wedding ring and it pointing to the deeper reality of the marriage. Maybe we've heard that before. Here's the point, though. Eight-day-old babies were engrafted into the community in a sense of belonging. It was through God's favor I mean, how else would it have happened? I mean, they were eight days old. It was by God's favor that that happened. God brought them into the community. 
And so circumcision is a sign that points to this deeper reality of God's favor. It, it marked, it sealed belonging in the community of faith. Now, in the New Testament, we just studied the book of Colossians. This is a reading from Colossians chapter 2. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There's something more spiritual happening here. It's not just about the act of circumcision. Something's changed now. And the story in that context is that Gentile converts are beginning to follow Jesus and the argument about circumcision starts to arise because circumcision has always been the way people belong in the community. And now you've got these people that haven't been circumcised that are now joining the, the, the group of Christians. They're, they're belonging without this practice. And so everybody around them is like, don't they have to do that too? Don't they have to do what someone has always done to be part of us? And Paul says, no, 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 wrong, wrong argument, wrong argument. He says, circumcision is fulfilled in Christ. Christ has put off the old flesh. So circumcision is no longer, Paul says, a requirement. And Paul is just pointing us to what Jesus is always pointing us to. This is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's your heart that Christ has redeemed and renewed through his death and resurrection. And your baptism now serves as a sign pointing to that deeper reality. So today the church, the large C church, understands that baptism marks this movement into the journey of transformation into Christ-likeness. And Jesus gives us the command to continue with this as an initiation, as an initiation into the church. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission. We all probably know that one. We've probably memorized that one. I think it's an interesting movement in that passage because there's baptism, then there's teaching. There seems to be something that accentuates belonging before a crystal clear doctrine starts to form. It's baptism first. Like we... Any of us maybe kind of understand all this anyway, right? <laughs> we all have a lot to learn. There's, there's numerous instances in the Old Testament where someone has an experience with Jesus and they're baptized right away. They're baptized almost on the spot. And it's the early church, they began to develop this practice of catechesis that led to the night before Easter where a, a primary baptism service would have happened. And that was like months-long training and teaching that we call catechesis, where they catechized, they taught those that were coming into the church. However we see it, baptism has always been seen as an initiation into the church. Always seen that way. And I think we, we probably have some significant disagreements on the ba backgrounds of, of baptism, what we've been taught, our experiences. I just assume that if we all wrote down like what we thought about baptism, like we'd have like probably 10 different like 
letters going on here. And that's okay. None of this is to try to make us all see it the same way. I mean, some of us have been, you know, in conversations about the mode. Like, is it immersion? Is it sprinkling? Is it pouring? And then, you know, there's the whole, should you baptize infants or adults? And like, as Anglicans, like, we're cool with all that. (laughs) We don't get into those arguments. (laughs) We just don't. We don't get into those arguments. They're important. Even if you wanted to dedicate your child, like we would do that too. Because we don't want to push that. But it is our responsibility to study it and understand it. And as parents and as a community of faith, encourage one another in the faith. What can we agree on? Baptism marks the entrance into the church. It's an initiation into the journey of Christ-likeness. So what am I saying? That baptism... It fulfills the Old Testament covenant practice of circumcision and is today the new covenant sign of our movement into the covenant community of God's people where we're marked with promise. Marked with promise. Maybe if you were here for the baptism service on Easter Sunday, maybe you heard this, maybe you didn't, but here's the liturgy as someone comes out of the water and is anointed with oil Here's the liturgy. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Amen. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. We can all say amen to that. So baptism is an initiation into the church. It's our first step into the church. But second, baptism is an orientation on the journey to. It's what orients us. And I don't want to say a ton here, but I want us to think about baptism as our mold. It's that which formed us initially. We're uniquely fit to it, formed to it, like, like an ice cube in a tray. And our baptism is also what we fall back into when we lose our way. And we lose our way, don't we? We all lose our way. And when we do, I know I know I know some of us in here have had this experience, but when we lose our way, it does not mean that we need to be rebaptized. This is the teaching of the church. But we do need renewal. So in our experience as Anglicans, every year the Anglican Church has a service the night before Easter where we collectively as a church renew our baptismal vows now we haven't ever done one of those services but i'd love to do one of those an easter vigil service where we renew our baptismal vows and in that service we renounce the devil we renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world we renounce our sinful desires we turn again to jesus we we turn to the christian faith we turn to god's holy will I think this, this aspect of baptism being an orientation, I, I think it's, it's what marks baptism as significantly different in a liturgical sacramental context than, than other contexts. It's not simply something that happens as a response to a decision or a, after conversion. It's what we return to over and over and over and over again in the Christian life. It sets us and it resets us. Our baptism sets us and resets us in formation of Christ's likeness. 
Some of you, I'm sure, have used this, but at the doorway, we have a baptismal font. And historically, like if you were to go into like some churches that are liturgical, they're going to have the baptismal font. It's going to be at the very entrance of the building. The idea there is that as you step into the church, you, you dip your hands in the holy water and you're making the sign of the cross over your body as you step back into the church again. As you get reinitiated or reoriented back into the church. And you just remember that we've been sealed and marked as Christ's own forever. Isn't that amazing? If you're not already using the baptismal font, please use it. Cross yourself when you come in here. You know, go swimming in it. You know, I mean, it is our, our life. It is our life in so many ways, the baptism. Just don't drink it, Luke Matthew says. We don't filter it. Let's just put it that way. Baptism is our first step into the church, and it's also our mold, our orientation. It helps us live with more fullness in the life of the church. So, if we assume baptism as this initiation and orientation of our Christian life, if we recognize this as the first step into the church, distinct with what maybe some of us grew up with here, which is like baptism as a response to conversion, which I think, by the way, I think that just gets really confusing. I just want to say, like, I'm sorry if that's gotten confusing in your world. Uh, That's just not fair, you know, in your Christian faith walk. That, that baptism, something as beautiful as baptism, just got confusing. Maybe like at a youth conference or something, it was like several calls to come up there, and then you just understood you had to get baptized again. I'm not trying to shame anyone if you've done that, by the way. I get it, totally get it. I would have done that too. And baptism is, is a response to conversion for, for adults and those who are of age to discern for sure. But I think conversion is, is it's broader than this. If we begin to think about conversion, not so much as like an acceptance of ideology, but as an escape from the darkness. If we, if we see conversion as like, I've got to get out of the dark and into the light. We start to realize that in order for me to be in communion with God, I've got to be in union with other people that are on this pathway too. That I cannot do this alone. I've got to be moving in the light, living in the light with other people. Because we need one another on this journey. It's not a solo walk. We need one another so that we each live fully in the light of Jesus. So the church, for as long as it's been in existence, has seen baptism. Really, no matter what age someone would get baptized, but as this process of stepping into the covenant community and finding belonging. It's simply the first step into the life of the church. And I've said this a couple times, but that's not an Anglican thing. It's also not a box that we check just so we'll get in the club. It's just not. I know it could be seen that way. It's just not. It's deeper than that. And at Mission Cleveland... We want everyone to come to the waters of baptism. Everyone. 
whether you're an adult getting baptized for the first time or parents discerning whether you what you think about infant baptism or just what you're thinking through there we just we just want to talk with you we we want you to consider this not as an imposition this is not us trying to impose anything but really please hear this as an invitation to consider the waters of baptism to live more fully in the sacramental life the baptized life where I believe that our lives take shape. Not simply from being socially connected to one another, and that's amazing. Like we've got, actually, friends, like we've got something really special here, and you know that. There's a lot of deep, amazing social connection here. That's great. But there's something deeper, even still, when we look through the lens of covenant community, where we keep promise with one another, where we walk this world out with one another, that when it gets hard, I know that I'm not alone. I just want to be baptized into that always, into the life of Christ, into the covenant community of Christ. Just like there's a distinction we feel from dating to moving into the covenant of marriage, Marriage has a, a fullness to it that dating will never get to. This won't ever lead you there. You, at some point, you have to move into the covenant of marriage. So we see there's an order to our intimacy with God that begins with baptism. There's an order to this pathway. Baptism is a first step into the church. It's even a first step to the Eucharistic table. Because if we skip baptism and go to the table without first being baptized, that, that's similar to skipping out on all the intimate progression of our lives and going straight to the most vulnerable and personal place possible in a relationship. Of course that's possible to do. But when the order's off, like we notice, when the order's off, will always sense something's missing. I, I truly believe that. It will just never be as full, never be experienced with the depth that it would be if we follow this order ordained by God. Well, there's, I, I think there's some challenge for us here, and I think there, there first is some challenge for all of us, and, and here is one way to think about that. I just want to invite us to realize the beauty the challenge, number one, realize the beauty and importance of baptism as an invitation to a deeper intimacy with Jesus. Whether it's like a step in, like you're getting baptized for the first time, or you're considering that, or you're, you're, you're wanting to reorient yourself to your baptized life, it's an invitation to intimacy with Jesus. I know we may have to like unpack some baggage around how baptism has been talked i even like was hesitant to even talk about it tonight because i think some of us have had baptism talks so much you know and it's like i can't go to that church again they're going to talk about baptism one more time but i think this is so important for us it's an invitation to intimacy with jesus i just want to invite you and me all of us to realize the beauty and importance of it it's our heart that jesus desires and our baptism is like our, our first step onto the spiritual formation pathway. Or, or maybe it's more like just getting, putting our feet in the river and just letting Jesus take us wherever he's taking us. 
trusting Jesus. We can get in the river with him. I think there's a challenge here, too, for um, our church leadership, myself and our pastoral staff, and we've talked about this. We've talked about baptism, and in fact, I was, every week I have a phone call with Father Al in Mission Red Bank and Abbot Chris, who is the, the, the leader of all the mission churches, and we just realize, you know, we, we haven't talked about baptism as much as we need to talk about baptism. It's such an important reality for us. We need to talk about it more. We need to teach about it more. So that's my commitment to you, is to to teach about this more and to think about it and have conversation with you more. After, immediately after our service, we'll have a conversation. If if I've said anything that you're like, ooh, let me ask a question about that. I'll just be available up in the conference room for anyone who has questions. So another way to interact And then we're also going to do confirmation classes. I know that's another word that we probably need to spend some time unpacking. But in addition to the confirmation classes, we're going to have some some conjoint baptism classes. If you're interested in asking more questions throughout the month of September. And then on September 25th, we're going to have another baptism service here. And we'll just keep that rotation going in some way. Well, here's what I would invite you to consider as a family of the church, as a community. Consider baptism for yourself if you haven't been baptized. Consider it. Think about it. If you've thought about your your children being baptized, like, is there, is there something there? Like, is there some kind of baggage in the background that makes that conversation even hard to have with, within your family or, or with another friend or with a pastor? Because, friends, like, I, I really think this is an important enough conversation to not let it just kind of, like, hang out there for a while. And so if you're having some conversation or thoughts about baptism, you know, could you bring that to, to me or, or Luke Matthews or Peyton and, and let us talk with you about that and hear your side of the story, hear your thoughts? We are always being invited into intimacy and union with God. It's a sacramental pathway. We step deep in the water and those waters carry us to places that we don't know yet, but we know that they're good because Jesus is carrying us. And so, can we trust the Lord to carry us in these sacramental rhythms of our life? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Though my own thoughts betray me Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.